I'm Louisa Wilcox, and this is Grizzly Times, where we speak for the grizzly bear and the wild places it calls home. We introduce you to scientists, filmmakers, policy experts, and others who share their insights and experience speaking and working on behalf of the bear. At a time of unprecedented human-caused change, grizzlies depend on us more than ever. To learn more about what's happening and how you can help, subscribe to our newsletter at grizzlytimespodcast.org. This is Louisa Wilcox with Grizzly Times. In part two of a fascinating interview with Tom Mangelson, world-class wildlife photographer, committed conservationist, and friend. Here, Tom delves into his long relationship with the grizzly bear matriarch of Grand Teton Park, known by her number, 399, who is perhaps the most famous grizzly bear alive. Tom recalls how 399 became the face of a recent battle over whether or not grizzlies in Greater Yellowstone should be hunted for fun, and his own crusade on behalf of her and all the grizzlies and wild animals of Greater Yellowstone and beyond. Well, Tom, maybe we should uh, get to your experience with Grizzly 399, you know, the famous matron grizzly bear of Jackson. Um, it's through it's really through your camera lens that you made 399 a rock star among all the many grizzly bears in Yellowstone and this bear has now become kind of an ambassador for a different relationship with grizzlies and all wild animals maybe you can talk a little bit about what she means to you and and what you think she means to the people as you were describing who flocked to Grand Teton hoping to catch a glimpse of her well I I've been in, um, living in the north end of Jackson Hole Road and the border of Teton Park for 40 years now. And, and for the first um, 25 years, I'd never seen a grizzly bear in Teton Park. There had, they'd been extirpated uh, for 50 years at that time. And uh, basically, other than a few that might wander in the very north edge of Teton Park, um, they were gone. And they were, you know, only you know, maybe 250, 350 bears in Yellowstone at that time. And so if I saw a grizzly in Yellowstone, it was like a big deal. And I'd end up going to Alaska to photograph grizzlies along the coast um, and or um, Denali Park, where there were still interior grizzlies that were fairly common. So when the first grizzly showed up here, which was uh, one of us on my on my on my deck actually in the middle of the night my lavender was laying by the sliding glass door at the end of my bed started going crazy um, barking and and i rode bolted up upright and i saw this grizzly look staring at the dog and <laughs> just face to face through the glass and i thought oh it's a black bear and you know i've seen black bears down here before that was not that uncommon and then i realized no that's not a black bear it's a grizzly the holy crap and and so that was in 2006, 2005. I'm not sure when, uh, 2005 or six. But uh, and I thought, well, did I was did I is that a something I imagined or was it a dream or whatever? But I realized that no, it wasn't. It was it was real. And and then in 2006, I in the fall, late fall, I heard that there was a bear with triplets, uh, coys, cubs of the year, at the Oxbow Bends, and so. My assistant, Susie, her home, and I uh, drove up there just to get a glimpse of this anomaly, basically, the first grizzlies to return to to Teton Park. And 
sure enough, there she was out on the island of the Oxbow Bend with the cubs eating on a what looked like a, a moose carcass. It was right at dusk and hard to see and no real photographs or anything. But And that was the last we saw. That was in like September, October. And then the next spring in April, uh, we went went up there and um, we heard that there was a bear there with three cubs. And again, it was the same bear with now, now they're yearlings and a bit mm-hmm. bigger. And uh, so we thought, oh, that's great. We'll get some pictures of of her and then, you know, probably get a few pictures and and document this great return of the grizzly. And uh, that'll probably be it. She'll probably be gone and disappear. And, but she hung out all spring. She hung out in April. She came out in April, May, and was there until uh, all summer and again in the fall and then uh, disappeared into the high country, into her den. And so the next year she came back out. So it became an annual – and. Well, the neat thing was, and what was fascinating about her, I think, is that she was considered a roadside bear, which means that she could tolerate people, and she preferred people over um, the interior backcountry where um, large males tend to live and and sometimes will harm the cubs or kill the cubs to put um, females back into estrus. When they're nursing, they have cubs. They're not receptive to being bred uh, much, so they uh, the males can spread his own genes. It's the same thing that you know lions do and tigers do, and a lot of other animals. But so she felt more comfortable. That our theory is anyway. I have to ask her, but <laughs> she uh, <laughs> she seemed to be very comfortable around people, and. Um, but she only attacked one person. Maybe she was up at Jackson Lake Lodge. That was just like the second year when they were yearlings. And they they killed a calf. She'd kill a calf elk, and they were, they were feasting on it just right next to Jackson Lake Lodge. They actually knew she was there. They taped it off like with police tape, and there was a, a walker runner early in the morning. Um, he saw the tape, and then he... he uh, didn't pay much attention to it, and he basically ran right face-to-face with her and the three cubs and the carcass, which is the worst possible scenario. Um, and he backed up, and he tripped on a root or a stone or something and fell backwards, and it set her in motion. To Yeah, he rolled over, and she bit his shoulder, and, and one of the cubs sort of decided to join in. About that time, a, a woman on horseback uh, came by and, they ran off and um, ambulance came and he begged the, uh, they, you know, the, usually they would kill the bear that did that, but mm-hmm. he begged the, uh, on the way to the hospital, people said he begged them not to kill her because he did, he did, he was wrong and she did everything right according to a bear. You know, you protect your cubs, you protect your food. And, and uh, sure enough, uh, the superintendent, Mary Gibson Scott, uh, Aired on the side of the bear, it's well, she did do the right, you know, it was a normal behavior, it wasn't aggressive, and it wasn't, um, he was, didn't look at him as a food source, so she, fortunately she uh, uh, let the incident go, and that was the only time she's ever attacked anybody, and the only time I've ever, ever actually, uh, other than little quick bluff charges here and there, she's not even been aggressive enough to uh, bluff charge people. Um so that's a real winning situation. So people can see her regularly over the years, and it's been this is the fifteenth year now. Been watching her, 
Yeah. She's 23 years, three years old and, uh, or tw- I'm sorry, 20, well, she'll be 25 now. It's January, yeah. so she probably was born in January. But last spring she came out with, with quadruplets, which is incredibly rare <laughs> in the bear world. And she had three sets of triplets and, and, uh, three sets of twins and a couple of single cubs in a couple of years. She didn't have any, but at 24, um, most bears don't live much past 15, let alone have cubs that late in their years. So as a real uh, surprise, she's incredibly healthy, incredibly good mother. She, she, well, I think I fell in love with her. I just felt that she was such a good ambassador for other bears and for other wildlife. And um, she taught people a lot. Um, about the bear, bear world and how important they are or how special they are because of their behavior and their, everything about them. But she would take the cubs. I realized that first year she would take the cubs to the side of the road. And she has to cross highways all the time to get to from mm-hmm. A to B, a different food source. And she would, she would look up and down the road, sort of like a, a city dog, maybe in New York, a, um, a stray <laughs> might live in, in the city. You know, before it crosses the, the streets of New York, and she knew this. You know, she was that that intelligent. Of course, we all know bears are incredibly intelligent, and and but until you actually see it, and and um, how dedicated she was to the, her cubs. You know, she if one cub got left behind, she'd go back and get it. Sometimes her cub would grab a one of the, you know highway cones and play with it like it was a chew toy. And, She'd have to go scold it and, you know, come on, you got to keep going. Uh, but the most fascinating, I suppose the most rewarding thing was the number of people that were so overjoyed that they saw a grizzly bear. Um, mm. Most who had never seen one before. One, uh, uh, I, and then it just grew and grew and grew. And then she became this, this quote, rock star. You see her own Facebook page and, and more and more people saw her and learned about her. You know, they, from all over the world, they get messages that how's three ninety nine? What do you think she's going to come out with cubs this year? But as as uh, the years passed, um, more and more people um, would come just specifically looking for her. And about three years ago, there's a. Uh, I think the value of the bear is is a good example here that that. Uh, little story that I think it was three or four years ago, 399, their cubs were just south of Pilgrim Creek, which is where they, their main territory is. And there, there's like three big vans of 30 kids um, from Olathe, Kansas. Uh, they were on a hmm. tour, a uh, summer tour, and it must have been in the early spring or fall. But... Um, one of the kids, I just did, did a book called Grizzlies of Pilgrim Creek with Todd Wilkinson. And um, one of the kids came, they got out of the bus and I, I didn't even take my camera because she, she was so far. It was sort of, she was sort of a dot with the two cubs. And this kid came up to me and said, you're Tom Engels, aren't you? I said, yeah. And he's, he said, I have your book. And he's, I was hoping I might see you. <laughs> he said, would you sign that? Huh. I said, well, yeah, sure. So he brought his book from Olathe, Kansas, wherever the hell that is. Uh, but... Uh, hope, hoping, hoping to find me, and uh, 
so the wow. you know so I got my camera and we set it up in the long lens and kids you know look through the the camera and there's a couple of guys with scopes there and they were just so so happy and excited to see a bear so the teacher wow. one of the uh, teachers came up to me she's you know Tom this is um, this is so great because we've been to um, South Dakota uh, to the Badlands to uh, Glacier Yellowstone and now here and this is the first bear we've seen and uh-huh. And she said, these kids will remember this day for the rest of their lives. And a lot of these kids will probably never, ever get a chance to see another grizzly bear. So mm-hmm. I thought, well, that is the value of, of keeping bears in the landscape, escape, not having them taken off the endangered species, this, not having them hunted know, and killed by some, some idiot that uh, um, has a small penis, I guess. But I think that it's important. <laughs> It, it, it really is a, to to steal that opportunity, which I talked about a little bit before there, but is that really makes sense in because that may be the only bear that these kids will ever see. And um, it's so important that we we foster that and protect not only her, but other bears like her and wolves and cougars. And... Um, um, Teach them, you know, the value of these large carnivores, herbivores, you know, predators on the landscape. And, and but um, last year, this last summer, there were I think five million people came came through the park. Uh, everybody's expecting, you know, four million to three point five million is the normal average. But yeah. because of COVID, a lot of people didn't travel, and everybody thought, well, nobody's going to go to the park because of COVID, but everybody thought the same thing, and everybody did come to the park. So there were, there were far more people here this year than a normal year, and um, there were bear jams uh, in certain ho- holidays, July and, and Labor Day, of maybe... I think we estimated somewhere between 800 and 1,000 people that were watching 399 and her cubs or 610 and, and her wow. cubs or a couple other ones that were offspring of a bear called Blondie. But they would, they, were, mm-hmm. they would attract, these bears would attract that many people. And and still these, when they were, everybody standing along the side of the road and there, was, there were bear handlers there, wildlife brigade people, and they you know tried to keep people and bears from getting too close and which is good and um but it was still kind of mayhem and it wasn't the most pleasant way of watching a bear in a while like if i were in alaska and i was the only person there maybe or a couple friends but the trade-off was that these say eight hundred thousand people in a day you multiply that out for the april to october well she didn't go into the den until January 1st, and even in in uh, December, there were a couple hundred people out there on some days when she was out. You multiply all those people together, and, and you know, you, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of people it would be, but it's in the hundreds of thousands. And so when the next time that they try to, uh, which they are now, trying to, take, you know, remove grizzlies mm-hmm. from the endangered species list again, mm-hmm. uh, you, we will have another, you know, several million people likely opposing that that um, mm-hmm. move 
and hopefully they speak out and have such an appreciation for the bears and the landscapes that they will again lose and they being the the game of fish and fish and wildlife and the you know sports for, for fish and wildlife and other agencies the parks they will lose that that um that battle yet again i hope so that trade-off is many people um, yeah. for but people are being educated and people are having incredible enjoyment and it's so important these days to give people that opportunity i think to be outdoors and for the kids who are you know maybe not totally absorbed in their iphone or something mm-hmm. doing something else but well, yeah, I mean, and you hope that, uh, like, the kids in the bus from Kansas who were, you know, thrilled to see her don't stop with, a, you know, their interest with a photograph. You hope they go home and, and really do their research on how few grizzly bears there are compared to what we had. And, you know, we're down to about 3% of what we had in the lower 48 states when, you know, Europeans first arrived. And, and you'd hope they'd learn about how difficult it really is for a grizzly bear to make it in the wild anymore with all the threats um, from people, and you'd hope that they could appreciate, you know, the challenges a bear like 399 has, you know, living on the combination of national forest lands, private lands, lands in Grand Teton. Um, And so even though she's a really successful mother and unflappable around people, we still have seen about half of her offspring killed as a result of all kinds of conflicts. Uh, maybe, Tom, you could share a little bit about how what makes her cub so vulnerable. Well, you know, she, even though she's a great mother, she's teaching them, you know, all the places, you know, her, her, um, her territory, her place where she goes finds food whether it be berries in the fall or or elk calves in the spring uh she teaches them in the way of navigating around people and and where to go down and everything she, i mean so much of what's learned is dependent on the mothers and bears but um i think the cubs are you know especially when they're young you know just out of the den they're clueless like, you know, they're helpless basically without their mother and they're, um, they could easily be killed by a, a male bear or, you know, if they were in presence of it and she wasn't so protective, um, and the wander off, one of the cubs wandered off early this spring and it was gone for like the, an hour and wandered like a mile away and said, Oh my God, you know, what the hell are you thinking? And all of a sudden I realized it's where's mom and it's, you know, followed the scent track back and and uh just but you know crossing the highway sometimes they want to go across with the mom the real stay back highways in the summertime are insane here with the traffic and the main highway going to east out of the park um they spend a lot of time on out of the park and there's little protection uh 399 and her cubs went to his very berry patches in august and september for several weeks and across the highway two or three times a day um going to going to sleep at night and going to get water in the middle of the day and, and there's big trucks you know uh, mm-hmm. 18 wheelers you know going 70 miles an hour and it's just a freaking nightmare it's like russian roulette so getting past mm-hmm. that but sometimes one cub would come with mom and two cubs just on the back and she'd have to go back and get them or they'd run across just willy-nilly 
And so that was just like, you know, a really frightening deal. And the fact that they really don't know, uh, they haven't learned that, you know, look both ways before you cross the street, uh, like she mm-hmm. did. Uh, and then you come to hunting season, which is the next most dangerous time, which starts in September, October, the bow hunting, and then, of course, rifle season. Uh, and the season in the park, National Park itself, to reduce the elk herd, uh, as they say, which is questionable. Mm-hmm. But uh, mm-hmm. she uh, she follows the gut piles and the the lost uh, carcasses that hunters don't retrieve, and she she will run to to the sound of a gunshot. Um, mm-hmm like a dinner bell, and then she'd come upon a hunter that's gutting out an elk or an other bear. I mean, people have been killed in conflicts that way. And, of course, the bear always loses. Um, and there's been some, unfortunately, there's been some some people killed over over whose carcass it is, uh, mm-hmm. which is unfortunate for everybody. But, uh, you know, it's a surprise. There's a hunter up on Blacktail Butte a couple of years ago who's, he told me that he saw 399 in really close range, and he pulled down on with his gun, and he saw the cubs, and he realized that he was it was 399, and he didn't pull the trigger. But uh, you know, it's like yeah, so close. And one of her those first three cubs that I mentioned was was shot by a um, by a deer hunter just outside the park. They don't know the park boundary and where the hunting season is or not, and and it was just merely eating this. This moose that somebody probably had misidentified as a elk or something. I don't know. There's no moose season here, but she was on top mm-hmm. of it, and Hunter kind of long surprised her. And she stood up and he shot, shot her in the chest three or four times, killed her. And he was only fined five hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. But it was, you know, the Endangered Species Act still is. He could have been fined much, much more than that. He could have been put in jail and could have been. Uh, you know, lost his life, hunting license for five years, etc. And I think he did lose it for a few years. Um, it's, it's, it's a deterrent. Uh, the Endangered Species Act is a deterrent to two hunters who would just normally shoot at will, or because they because they want you know just want to kill predators. Um, and you know, fortunately, the judge. Dana Christensen, this last, yeah. two years ago, who was now, he uh, he uh, put him back on, you know, and he removed from the endangered species. Listen, they're going to shoot 23, or they could hunt 23 bears, one in Idaho and 22 in Wyoming. Uh, immediately, the game of fish is their kind of management. Immediately, yeah. as soon as they were taken off the endangered species list, the, the fish, and wild, fish and game decided that they would uh, have a hunting season. And, you know, for years, they said, well, it doesn't mean we're going to have a hunting season if you take them off the endangered species list. Well, which was mm-hmm. bullshit because immediately when they were taken off the endangered species list, they were they were put on a, a, um, a hunting species list. Mm-hmm. And there was a lottery uh, to hunt uh, 22 bears in Wyoming <laughs> and uh, a couple in Montana that Montana – People rebelled, and the Montana Game of Fish decided not to have a hunt. Uh, Idaho mm-hmm. had to hunt for one bear. Anyway, there's 22 bears, a lot of bears. And 399 mm-hmm. would be vulnerable in that because it would be in her, one of her areas. And uh, 
again, Serena and I is only special because, well, we know her and people get to see her, but she's in a way no more special than any bear out there. Um, they all mm-hmm. have a right to live and they all have their own cubs and, and are as sentient and intelligent and emotional as uh, Trina and I. But anyway, so they had this lottery for 22 licenses for Wyoming and, and uh, 7,800 7, people applied, including I got Jane Goodall to apply and yeah, it's great. Elephant research. Yeah, so we we got everybody possible because um, the thing was you would get they would do, allow one hunter at a time in a field for ten days to get quote his his bear, and then if you shot the bear on the first day, then they go to go from one to twenty two, and so you shoot the bear on the first day, and then the next guy up and then he takes five days and he shoots his beer and the next, next guy up and et cetera. But theoretically you can have 10 days and not get your bear. Um, I was like this, you know, when hunters say I got my elk, it's like, well, you know, what the hell you mean your elk, but right. that's, that, that's the language that hunters use. So, so very serendipitously, I got, I drew number eight out of the 22, and there were 7,500, 7,800 uh, applications. So getting number eight was like, yeah, because I thought they, I thought they would just throw my application in the in the trash can because I'm <laughs> outs, outs, outspoken about bear hunting. And, right. But uh, Sue, my sister, put it on the Facebook page. Oh, lo and behold, Tom got one of the bear tags. It was a big surprise, and he woke up and and found out that he. Had one one, and on that on the on the Facebook um, post, there were several people. One in particular that wrote that, "Well, Tom, I'm coming, I'm coming home, and all they're going to do um, is find your camera and your dead body." Uh, oh my God! Yeah, yeah. I had only won the lot. I only won the tag. It didn't, you know, I didn't even go yeah. hunting yet or anything. Because obviously, I was going to go hunt with a camera, right. not a gun, and and take up those 10 days. But I was also not going to steal the opportunity of the outfitter, but I was going to hire an outfitter and horses and do the whole mm-hmm. thing for 10 days and pay the money so that nobody's going to get screwed out of the, you know, quote, mm-hmm. um, uh, outfitters fees for leading a hunt. But the, I found two outfitters that would take me and were sympathetic to me and to, they didn't really want to kill bears and they liked mm-hmm. bears. And, uh, and one of them said, well, it's no, be no big deal to get pictures of bears because all we do is we'll, uh, you know, get one of the, shoot one of the elk, you know, have a tag, obviously, and then uh, gut it and uh, leave enough of the carcass out and we'll just wait a day or less and there'll be a bear on it. So, and that's how they will hunt them. So mm-hmm. <laughs> there's no hunt, there's no sport, there's no right. Uh, right. respect. Um, and... Uh, he says it'd be simple as hell for you to get all the pictures you want uh, that way, and that's, that's it'd be simple as hell for the hunters to kill their bears. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. fortunately, that last last day before the season opened, that evening, um, the judge ruled to put the bears back on the endangered species list, and the hunt was canceled. But yeah, um, that was a good. You know, I was um, I was in Nebraska with the opening of a it was called a. A life in a wild legacy show where I have a museum show, driving museum mm-hmm. show. And I was doing a little lecture to go with the show and I was talking about three ninety nine to the audience and um um uh, you know that 
as I speak, I said, you know, the judge is um, making a decision, and it was a hard fought, hard fought, especially as you well know, you were to- totally involved with that, as was, your, as was Dave, and um, um, many, many people fighting to keep them on the endangered species. But anyway, we were talking about all that, and my nephew all of a sudden he walks up to the podium. I said, what the hell? Have I got my pants unzipped or something? He's going to tell me something? And I know he's walking up to the podium. And, and uh, he hands me a note, and it says the judge ruled to put the bears back on the endangered species. So at the moment I said that, he came up. And the woman next to him was elbowing him. Wow. She was looking, looking in on her, her iPhone, keeping track of the decision. No, this is in Omaha keep me track of the decision and elbowed my nephew. She didn't know it was my nephew. And uh-huh. she just she just showed him this ruling, and he thought, well, you know, I should go tell Tom. And, and uh, he said, you go tell him. And he, no, you tell him. So anyway, he came up. And so I yeah. told him, I said, oh, my God, uh, they just ruled against uh, mm-hmm. uh, putting him back on or putting him back on the endangered species list. And everybody stood up, and there was a standing ovation for the bears. And, and wow. Omaha, you know, yeah, so that was pretty wow. cool. Yeah. So, well, anyway. that was really cool. I mean, you know, you and your work with 399 and the photographs you took really were the face of that campaign. I mean, I have never seen, you know, a, a, over a million people commented against delisting. Only 0.999% uh, people supported it. I mean, the, I mean, the face of that campaign was the bear that you photographed and all you know, her offspring and the like. And I've never seen in my 30-some years of history with this issue so many people excited about protecting grizzlies and preventing them from being, you know, sport hunted. It it was really incredible. You deserve that standing ovation. (laughs) Well, I'm not sure it's for me. I think it's for the bears mostly. Well, it's for the bear, but it's for the the effort. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was wondering. Yeah, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I was sitting in that courtroom, you know, biting my nails, and uh, David, you know, my husband was so nervous uh, that he refused to go in the courtroom. Actually, it was completely packed. There was an overflow room. Uh, actually, I was sitting near a bunch of reporters. Nobody could sit back in their chair. I mean, I, there were so many people on his benches, and and uh, he ruled, and the hearing was done early afternoon, and within like three or four hours, he ruled. I mean, it was really high drama, high stakes because that weekend the hunting season would have started as as you said yeah. and yeah we, i think we were all at the edge of our you know, edge of our sanity at that moment but and the other thing was too in that fight that the science community really came on board i mean these are animals with incredibly low reproductive rates and incredibly high human caused mortality rates and with state uh, management agencies getting to reduce the size of the population that you know we saw a host of characters including your uh, good friend the renowned scientist jane goodall i mean there were scientists from all over the place who were weighing in on that fight and, and that was really gratifying yeah, there was uh, Todd and I. We went back to uh, D.C. to testify uh, for the net in front of the Natural Resources Committee for uh, uh, for the bears. And mm-hmm. it was interesting to see how many how many uh, congressional leaders actually were 
were sympathetic. Of course, most of them were the Democrats, but they, they, um, that was a pretty special time. And to see the outpouring of, of uh, caring for the bears from that group. And, and you speak of Jane, I, she uh, is a good friend. I've known her for 20 years or so. And, and uh, we went to Yellowstone. She did had a lecture here at the National Wildlife Art Museum in the um, year 2002. And I was asked to to introduce her, and, and uh, which terrified me, but I did. And then we got through that. <laughs> and she she had been in my gallery, and uh, my gallery manager asked if she uh, had ever been to Yellowstone. And she said no. And he said, well, you should get Tom to, to take you. And she said, well, actually, we do have Sunday off. And so... We went spent a fabulous day, and that's how we became friends. And she's been coming to to my cabin in Nebraska to uh, see the cranes every March. But so we she kept you know we could keep track of each other, and and she knew I was passionate about three ninety nine, which she was disgusted that it that it had a number not a real name because she names all her chimps and and mm-hmm. by their personalities and things and. And she said she 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 refuses to call it three nine. And she said that no name bear. And I, so I just put <laughs> N and B. And uh, but when six ten that the uh, female there are two females in the male that's in that first set of triplets. Um, when I first saw her, when she turned five years old, she had uh, twins, and. Um, that became a newspaper. Three nine nine hadn't had cubs for two years, and the fact that her mm-hmm. daughter now is of age to have have cubs, and she did have twins. That the newspaper guy called me up and and said, "You know what, uh, Corey Hatch?" He said, um, mm-hmm. "He said that's pretty cool. Three nine nine's, you know, first the other female got shot by that deer hunter, and uh, right. and the uh, other the male of the three it was killed by the game of fish because it killed a cow. Um, so she was remaining the survivor of the, the triplets. Anyhow, she, uh, she had her cubs and that began a story. And then Corey asked me, the, the writer said, you know, what would be, uh, what would be frosting on the cake? And I said, well, he said, pretty cool. Right? I said, great. Uh, what would be a frosting on the cake? And I said, well, 399 showed up with the cubs this year because she hasn't for a couple, couple of years and not sure if she had them and lost them or what but anyway uh, a week later uh, a friend of mine a ranger up in the park called me and said 399 is at the near the convenience store at Coulter Bay so I raced up there and mm-hmm. took a picture of her crossing the road and and then I called Corey and said you know frosting on the cake I just left a message he didn't answer <laughs> knowing he would know <laughs> what that meant and mm-hmm. so that became even bigger news that mom and daughter both have cubs. There's five cubs running around up there, and uh, it made the AP picked it up, and it it made the a number of newspapers. Jane called me from London and said, "You know your bears." Uh, she saw the picture, and mm-hmm. uh, we're in the Sunday Daily uh, today in London. So uh, she says it's mm-hmm. making quite. A, she's making quite a splash. But we looked up the mm-hmm. number of. Um, newspapers online and in print that ran that story and we were 228 uh, publications around the world including one in Turkey that wow. published that story in Turkey can you uh, believe that 
So yeah. that was the beginning beginning of her fame, and that was pretty much about eight ten years ago. Um, mm-hmm. And of course, um, there, not everybody was that excited about bringing more people to Teton Park, or especially the one particular uh, ranger there that said, "Oh man, there's going to be more people here now." <laughs> I said, "Yeah, we'll get mm-hmm. over it because that's what parks are for, and that's what you get paid for." But mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> That's it, and it's just gone on like that with um, every every year she does something surprising, or um, and mm-hmm. a year or two later she ended up uh, six ten uh, adopted one of her her three cubs, and so six ten had three, mm-hmm. and then she had two, which is mm-hmm. really relatively yeah. uncommon, but not yeah. Not, uh, Mm-hmm. You know, you get together over a carcass or something. Something that's probably what happened. It wasn't. Some people mm-hmm. say, "Well, the old lady just wants you know, give the daughter <laughs> one of her cups. She's too tired." Right. <laughs> that's a, that sounds cute, but realistically, they're probably on a carcass and at night or something, and uh, they wandered off, and the cub saw brown butt going into the willows and followed that one and realized it was uh, uh, her her aunt, not her mother. And so it was night and, and 610 raised all three cubs to adulthood. And, um, uh, same way with, uh, 399, she raised those two cubs to adulthood. So anyway, I think like that, um, that just keeps me interested. Yeah. There's always something to learn from these animals. And, uh, you know, I just want to thank you, Tom, so much for bringing 399 and, and so many other animals alive for people who otherwise couldn't get in the wild and hope, hopefully inspire them to, to save them and, and work with, you know, people like you and, and organizations to give them a better future because many people want to see them alive, not, you know, not gun down and it's a real opportunity i just want to thank you for oh, for welcome, all of your yeah. work think, yeah thank you so much and you did it to you for all your work i <laughs> i just every time i uh c399 i think that somebody might shoot her I, I just can't fathom that you know i really can't and and or any bear now because they are so smart and they are so well 399 had wandered up sorry um, one little story she wandered south this this fall, uh, yeah. across town, past the Calico Pizza and past the bars and past the highways and on the ranch lands and down to Harrison Ford's property, and everybody thought she was, you know, out of her mind. She had she got dementia and <laughs> that she was star she was starving and whatever. Now she'll be back. So she did come back and then she went down there again. But I think she was hungry so much she found some more berries down there and alpacas and things. But she did come back and she came through my basically through my yard twice, which was, which is pretty cool. And eight berries on my, my neighbor <laughs> and I, my, my fence. And, uh, but if you, I think if anybody spent any time with, whether it be wolves or bears or cougars, and cougars are almost impossible because they're so, so, uh, um, secretive. Uh, yeah. and by the way, I hope people go to cougarfund.org and, Look more at what yeah. cougars importance of cougars are, um, mm-hmm. but I've learned so much about three ninety nine and she traveled forty miles uh, two days before January first when she went into the den up above Pilgrim Creek 
in deep snows, and she stayed out. There was this second latest uh, time she went at the den. It was January 1st, and she'd made the record of January 2nd about five years ago because she was there so much food. She, she decided to eat as much food she, as she can to get through the winter and put on as much fat. But watching mm-hmm. her plow through two, three feet of snow with new cubs, uh, it's so incredibly heartwarming. And and I, my assistant, we try to walk about 20 yards seriously in the same snow to get a better angle of her. And we could hardly get, get 20 yards because it was crust on top of the snow. And she's, mm-hmm. So she she's at 25 years old, she's snow plowing. And the cubs, at first, they were just sort of playing grab ass with each other following her because they were <laughs> full of, of uh, themselves and uh, fat and sassy at the first day. But then by the second day, they uh, they were marching right behind her, you know, in her breaking trail. And uh, But the thought of somebody killing her um, for fun or for any reason uh, is just, um, it would break my heart, for, but it would just break so many hearts. And But that's what we have to, instill in people that they need to get out and see these see these animals and go wherever they they can to learn more about uh, how lucky we are to have parks and national mm-hmm. monuments and places that keep the wild wild so anyway i thank yeah. you uh, for for uh, um letting me share some of these thoughts louise and keep up your good work oh. and this, and this has been my treat. Yeah, I just want to thank you, Grizzly three ninety nine, and and so many other wild animals um, are, are blessed to have you and as, as an ambassador for them. So, thank you so much, thank Tom. You. This is You're Louisa welcome. Wilcox with Grizzly Times here with Tom Angleson. Don't miss part one of this podcast for more on Tom's art, passion for wildlife, and his personal journey. From hunting and trapping to relying only on a camera to shoot wildlife. A journey that has taken him to remote wilderness around the world. If you want to learn more about the grizzly and what you can do to help, subscribe to our newsletter at grizzlytimespodcast.org. And if you can, give us a review.